In this episode, we say goodbye to Shane McGowan and Norman Lear, and then we talk about music from Dolly Parton, The Struts, The National, Guided by Voices, and Tenacious D, and whatever else we get to. I'm your host, Derek Brink, and you are listening to Empty Checking. Hello, checkmates. It's your old Uncle Derek coming to you on a unseasonably warm day in St. Louis. We've got a lot of those lately. Been a lot of, a lot of slightly too warm days in St. Louis. I, uh, I don't love that going into the holiday season. It's almost Christmas, man. It should be cold. Christmas is supposed to be cold. What am I supposed to do? Listen to Bing Crosby in Pleasant Sunshine? That, 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 no. No, 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 no. You need to get cold for Christmas. You need a good blast of cold. Not impenetrable snow or anything like that, but just just some nice cold. I like the I like the cold of Christmas. I like the cold, actually, because <laughs> I, I got body shame issues, and I like wearing layers, so, like, come on, cold. Cold me up. That's what I always say. Cold me up. It's it, uh, virtually synonymous with Derek Brink, is the phrase, cold me up. Uh, those of you who listened to the show on podcast apps saw that there was an upload the other day that just kind of said, hey, this one's going up late. Uh, sorry about that. I, uh, I actually don't remember completely what I said in that upload. The truth of it is, this is take two of, uh, of, of an attempt of getting the show done this week, because take one was done on a day where I was... I had had a really bad day, I was miserable, I was angry, I was sad, and I was drunk by the time I pressed record, and it just got unpleasantly ugly, uh, and emotional. So, I don't want to subject you to that, you know? So we're, we're doing this, uh, we're doing this again. It doesn't really benefit you to know that, exactly, but it is what's happening, so there you go. Now you, now you know that. As you're listening, hope that hope that feels good to have a little bit of a glimpse behind the curtain. It's a really nice curtain. It's velvet and soft. Uh, thank you so much for being here with me this week. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I'm in a better mood than I was when I recorded the aborted attempt of this episode. Uh, there are some websites that I need to mention up top. They're supposed to be mentioned within the first ten minutes. So uh, because the metrics people. Say that you gotta do that. It's important to mention your websites and things within the first ten minutes. I don't know how they arrived at that. I don't pay that much attention to the metrics. I actually really hate the word metrics. Uh, it's it's a cowardly word for numbers that we think prove a point. It, it's a cowardly word for numbers that we're going to manipulate to make our point. That's what the word metrics is to me. But I gotta pay attention to them a little bit doing this. I don't know. Sorry. But here's the websites you can go to. If you like the show, there's a companion blog over at emptychecking.blogspot.com. The show itself is hosted at emptychecking.podbean.com. 
It's available on all the podcasting apps, including the one that you're listening to it on now. If it's not on your app of choice, please let me know what it is, and I will do my best to get it there. If you want to know more about me, and really, who wouldn't, go on over to my website, DerekBrink.com. Plenty of stuff to click on there, mostly about my music career. Speaking of my music career, if you like the music that you hear throughout the show, including the opening track and closing track, the, the theme music to the show, it's a song called Bite the Habanero. People ask me that. I get a couple emails, probably five, six emails a year that just ask me, hey, what, what's that song that you play as your theme music? Bite the Habanero by me. And you can download it for absolutely free along with the rest of my solo catalog over at derekbrink.bandcamp.com. Everything there, you can enter zero as your purchase price and just take it. I don't collect your email. I won't even know that you took it. I would just love it if you loved it. You can pay two if you want to, but you don't have to. You can take everything about me for free. Everything about me must go. And uh, the title track is Bite the Habanero, in case you've wondered. If you want to email me, tell me what you think about the show, uh, that's fine. (laughs) And you can do that at db, those are my initials, db at derekbrink.com. And I reply to everybody who isn't mean to me in my email. Uh, some people think that it matters if they comment on uh, the, the their app of choice. Uh, I don't read those. I don't get notified of those. I don't know that those happened. Um, and, uh, I mean, it is important. Again, the metrics people tell me that I should also be telling you to uh, like, share, and subscribe on your app of choice. Um, so do that. Because the metrics people say it's important. You know, John and Phil metrics, those assholes. You should, uh, you should probably do that, I guess. But I, I'm not going to ever see the comments that you put on any app. If you're, if you're doing that, I will read what you send me at db at derekbrink.com. You can actually also comment on the blog posts, but people don't seem to do that. I do get emails, but no one seems to write on the blog. People might not care that the blog exists. Except there's somebody who really cares that I post a picture of, like, the the cover photo for the episode every time I do it. Because, like, that person has a folder full of those pictures, you know? Like, there's somebody who that's their life. And I love you for that. And I'm kind of one of you. But at the same time, go outside, touch some grass. It's still warm in St. Louis. You can do that. It's warm other- elsewhere in the countries. In the country? In the countries, probably. There are some countries this goes to that... It's probably warm in. Some countries this goes to, it's probably cold in. Uh, you'd be amazed. Some of the emails I get from elsewhere, I get uh, emails from all around the globe. And that's kind of fun, you know? That's kind of cool. I'm not uh, overwhelmed by them or anything, but I, I, I get those emails. And it's it's fun to see where people hear the show and what they think of uh, what I say. It's interesting to see some of the cultural differences and things like that. Uh, I am telling you way too much about how this show works uh, hey, my car sucks. That's, uh, that's going on. It's actually a little bit better than it was, but my car has been a problem. Those of you who have been listening to the show for a while know that it has been just years of problems with cars. I had one that just kind of reached the end of his li- it, its life and died on me, and I got a new one, well, quote-unquote new, a new used one that I bought from a guy who was a used car dealer that is also uh, moonlights as a preacher. And I knew that going in, and for some reason that didn't raise any red flags for me. Uh, He leaned into both stereotypes, let's just say. 
and uh, uh, just pulled every car dealer dirty trick in the book, and I recognized all of them, and it took me about two of them before I went, oh, this is how that's going to be. Okay, well, fine. Now I know what I'm dealing with, you know. And uh, But I, I, I got the car because I listened to opportunity rather than to my gut. And checkmates, you always got to listen to your gut. And my gut told me, eh, hold off, you're not ready to do this. But uh, Opportunity was said that, that there's a car here, you basically like Chevrolets, it's available for about the right price, just do it, you know? And I, I, I went with my head instead of my... I went with the metrics instead of with the heart. That's what happened. Or the gut. I said listen to your gut. Listen to your gut and or heart, I don't care which. Listen to one or both of those. They they often say exactly the same thing. Your heart and your gut are much more connected than you think. That's why when people have heart attacks, they usually get an upset stomach because the gut knows what the heart wants. Uh, so you know, listen to that. Listen to your body and your feelings and your emotions. Don't just do the math. Um, this car has been a nightmare. Like I've had it for about two years, and it's been in the shop a lot. Uh, you may remember recently I had the timing chain replaced. And that actually helped quite a bit. But I've had an exhaust problem. This is why I'm still a bad mouth on the dealer. Uh, I had an exhaust problem that I've had since the car came home with me that I didn't know about because the dealership didn't disclose it to me. But I've got a neighbor who's a mechanic who uh, I was talking to him about my car and all the problems I have. Just kind of, I trust my shop. I've got a really good shop. They're really good folks. But I just kind of talked to my neighbor and said, hey, you used to be a mechanic. Here's what my shop is saying to me, just as an impartial, like, third party. Does it sound like they're on the right track? And I kind of described what, you know, they had been saying to me. And I had told him that, you know, they told me recently I've got an exhaust leak. He says, oh, yeah, you've, got, you've always had an exhaust leak. I heard that the first time you drove the car home. And I went, really? And he said, yeah. I said, the dealership did not mention that to me. He says, well, you were at a dealership. You know, and <laughs> that's uh, that's just kind of how it is. But uh, yeah, so I, I've had this exhaust leak, and it got way worse over Thanksgiving to where, like, the car was bouncing when I would idle, you know? So like, oh, okay, well, we got to get that fixed. So I took that in and got it fixed, and that was money spent right before having to buy stuff for Christmas, and that makes Christmas hard and, you know, all that. And I got it home, and then the check engine light came on, <laughs> and I had to go back and say, why is my check engine light on? And they said, well, we're really not sure. Here's what the code means, but we really don't... It might not be that. It might just be a false read. Let's clear it out, and if it comes on again, you can bring it back, and we'll go deeper. And it hasn't come on again after they cleared it out, thankfully, so maybe we're okay. But, like, this thing just keeps bothering me, man, and keeps, like, doing stuff and being a money pit, and I, I, I don't want to live like that. I just want a car that works, you know? I should probably sell the thing. I should take it and do a trade-in and get a better car with a payment that I can't afford. I should do that. I know I should do that. But at the same time, I really need it to last just a little while longer before I have to do that. You know? Like, let me get my house in order. Let me... I don't know, breathe for a little bit, please. Car. And then maybe we'll do that. And, I mean, please last another year, is all I'm saying. Ideally, two or three. I don't know. Car sucks. Mad at it. Christmas is coming up. Don't have as much money for it as I would want to because of the car. 
been grumpy, had a bad day the other day, had kind of a bad week, all told, to be honest with you. Didn't love today as I'm recording this and talking to you. But, you know, it's okay. We'll be okay. You'll be okay. You're probably doing fine. Or you're not, and you're coming to this to cheer you up, and here I am, you know, whining about my car. Sorry about that, if that's what you want. Uh, you're really not going to like like the next section where we talk about dead people. That's 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 going to be a bummer. Uh, in the <laughs> in the initial record of this episode, I was uh, a sobbing, blubbering mess when I was talking about Shane McGowan. Uh, I I may still get there, but it won't be as immediate in this uh, in this run at the show. But uh, I I think we've got a good show. I I, I like what I'm going to be talking about. I uh, am even though it's going to be sad. I'm I'm a little bit looking forward to the next section where I just get to talk about people who mattered to me and why they mattered. That's, that's always kind of as sad as it can be. It always, it always kind of does something good for my heart and maybe introduces you to a name that you're not as familiar with. So that's, that's kind of what we got coming up next, but it's been, uh, it's been a week folks. And for some of you, it's been a week for some of you, it's been a month or a year or whatever. And, uh, I, I get it is all I'm saying. I, I said that uh, when I did the first run of this show, uh, I, I like to disclose what I'm drinking when I do this show. Uh, I said when I did the first run of this show, I, uh, this episode, I guess, uh, that uh, I was just rip-roaring drunk. Uh, tonight, I'm casually and gently sipping a beer. I'm drinking uh, the Breckenridge Brewery Christmas Ale, which I didn't know anything about until I just saw it on the shelves of my grocery store and... I like Breckenridge Brewery. I trust them. They make a handful of my go-to beers. The Avalanche Ale is great. The Vanilla Porter is outstanding. They make a great Oktoberfest. Their Autumn Ale is one of my favorite beers. Uh, the Christmas Ale I picked up because I thought, well, that's interesting. Another seasonal from them right after the Autumn Ale and the Oktoberfest. Let's give that a try. And I took a sip uh, the other night, uh, not the night that I recorded this extraordinarily drunk, but the night that I uh, had this beer. And just fell in love with it. So now there's a lot of it in my fridge that I'm hoping lasts until Christmas. You know, because I, I want to drink a Christmas ale on Christmas. Uh, very good beer. Excellent beer. Wonderful beer. Don't exactly know what's in it. It's just an ale, but not like a pale ale or an IPA or whatever. It's, it's, uh, it seems to have kind of a red hue. Kind of be a nice red ale. And I... Oh, it makes me happy. And if you get your chance to get your hands on some of this, if you're... Uh, able and allowed to drink, then uh, uh, try a Breckenridge Brewery Christmas Ale. Not a sponsor, but try them. We don't have sponsors on this show, because uh, why should we? Why should we cave to the man? I don't even like reading the metrics that I'm supposed to read. Why should I do what a sponsor tells me to do? But Breckenridge Brewery, they make some really kick-ass beers, and the Christmas Ale is what I'm enjoying right now, and it's uh, uh, maybe you will too, if you're an ale person. That's all I'm saying. We got a good show for you, so let's get into it. The insanity of generosity is never far from my mind. With an excess of bread, why not build a table instead of a fence to hide it behind? I suffer from love and God knows above that's a terrible Okay, mates of the checking variety. We've got to uh we've got to do some sad business here. 
toward the top of the show. Um, we've got to say goodbye to a couple of people, a couple of celebrities. There have been a number of people, actually, in, in celebrity news who have passed away recently. And, I mean, you know, you 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 want to take time and at least say rest in peace to everybody that you can. But, uh, unfortunately, since the last time we talked, there have been a few too many for me to remember. But there are two that I really need, like I personally need, to zero in on. And we're going to do that right now. And the first of those two is Norman Lear. It's entirely possible that even as a fan of this show, and I assume if you're a fan of this show, you're a little bit of a pop culture dork, uh, but uh, which so am I. That's not an insult. I just game recognize game. And I, 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 it's it's entirely possible that even even though you like this show, and even though you're someone like me, it's entirely possible that you don't know the name Norman Lear, because he wasn't really an on-screen personality. I mean, he was here and there, and he'd show up in biographies, or he'd uh, he did some voice work here and there, or he'd, he'd he'd drop into things every now and again. But his his main role was behind the scenes. He was something of a of a mo, mo, mogul 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 mogul. How, how, am I saying mogul right? Is it mogul mogul? How do you say mogul? I want to say mogul. That's how I default pronounce it is that right how do you how do you spell it for me to google it he was a producer and he was a writer he uh predominantly that's predominantly what he was known as was a producer and a writer he had a hand in forever changing television as we think of it and had a significant impact on movies as well, and on entertainment just in general. And I think we all know, if you're a fan of this show, you know because you've heard me harp on it, how important entertainment and the arts really are. Is? Are. Are, because I've said two things. Sorry, I'm uh, having some trouble thinking, clearly. It, isn't, it has nothing to do with the beer. Uh, <laughs> I've just had a long week. Um... Yeah, the arts are extremely important. Because if you think back through history, if you think, okay, what do we know of ancient Rome? What do we know of ancient Greece? Well, what we know is what survived. And what survived, apart from the buildings, are the statues and the paintings and the art and the writings and the stuff that you had to have some sort of passion and some sort of training in the arts to produce. That's the stuff that survives over time. That's the stuff that matters. What entertainers do is extraordinarily important. People who, people who create great art, there are philosophers now. They have been for a very long time. I mean, Aristotle had to know how to put a sentence together, you know? So I, I don't... I don't say with any hyperbole that this week we lost one of our great philosophers in Norman Lear. And I'm really going to miss him. And so are you. And you might not know it, but so are you. And some of you are right now thinking, well, how much could I possibly miss a guy who was 101 years old? How much, how much of a contribution could he have possibly still been making? Norman Lear was lucid and was dialed in right up until the last minute he was still producing great things he was still adding a voice to conversations 
where really art could choose to be voiceless, but he decided to be on the right side of history. He did some groundbreaking work, not only in film, but in society, with some of the shows that he made that wagged a finger at racial injustice, at gender injustice. He was a man who was on the right side of history. Norman Lear was hugely important. We could do the list. We can do the list of stuff that he was involved with. And you know what? Let's do the list. Let's do... Yeah, I'm just going to do the list of stuff that I've seen. And here it is. All in the Family, Maud, Sanford and Son, One Day at a Time, The Jeffersons, Good Times, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, Fernwood Tonight, Different Strokes, Martin and Lewis, Martin and Lewis, The Colgate Comedy Hour, Rowan and Martin, The Tennessee Ernie Ford Show, Fried Green Tomatoes, 227, The Facts of Life, The Princess Bride, Silver Spoons, the Andy Williams Show, Chappelle's Show, and not to mention that he did the voice of Ben Franklin on South Park. That's just the stuff I've seen, folks. Norman Lear was insanely important and remained insanely important and relevant for 101 years. Well, maybe we can shorten that to like 90 years. No one really gives a shit what a nine-year-old has to say, so there's a few years that he got to play around there and nobody cared. But for his his adult career, insanely important. A massive voice in the industry, a massive voice for pop culture, a massive voice for history. And he was on the right side of it. And at 101 years old, it's impossible to say that he was cheated. It's impossible to say that we were cheated, that well, he should have had longer. Okay, look, maybe he should have gotten to 110. I don't know. But at 101 years old, it's hard to say, oh, he went before his time or anything like that. But nevertheless, I read the news and my heart sunk a little. Like, oh, we lost another good one. You know? May we all be so lucky to live 101 years and still be vital and still be relevant and still be comfortable and happy and lucid. May we all take a page from the book of Norman Lear and more importantly than all that other stuff I just said, for as long as we're here, may we be on the right side of history, which he certainly was. And I mourn him and I miss him. Rest in peace, Norman Lear. And, okay, this one's going to be a little bit harder for me. When I did the first try at recording this episode, I didn't get past the opening sentence before I was just sobbing. So uh, we're going to try to do a little bit better. Checkmates, those of you who have emotional responses to hearing somebody get emotional, uh, maybe use some caution. I don't know. I haven't recorded it yet, but, you know, uh, this one... This one means a lot to me, and it's important to me to say it. And uh, even McGuire, who you've uh, heard meowing in the background maybe a couple of times throughout the show already, even McGuire seems to have settled down and realizes that it's time for Daddy to get serious, huh, buddy? Um, I have to talk to you about Shane McGowan. Shane McGowan passed away. Um, another one of those names that you might not know unless you know it, you know, but um, you might not know unless you know, you know. 
Uh, Shane McGowan was probably best known as the frontman of the Irish folk slash sort of punk band, uh, The Pogues. He wrote some of the uh, songs that Irish music appreciators and Irish people who uh, love the Irish arts. Um, he wrote some of the songs that, like since the 1980s that we all sing, we all know, we all appreciate. Uh, he uh, he was an uh, an indefinably important voice for Irish culture, for Irish people, for Irish music, for Irish art. Um, I have Irish blood coursing through my veins, not 100%, obviously, but I've, there's, there's some Irish blood in there, and uh, uh, I can't begin to quantify as an Irish person who loves his people's history and his people's heritage. I cannot begin to quantify how significant and substantial a loss that Shane McGowan is. I actually can't think of a person who is currently working that I can point to and say, well, that's in the tradition of Shane McGowan is, you know, this person. The name that came to mind immediately was Dolores O'Rourdon from the Cranberries, but she also passed away before Shane did. Maybe Dave King of Flogging Molly. He might be in the same spirit as, as, as Shane McGowan. Uh, maybe you're Imelda May, to some extent you're Sinead O'Connor, who was a, a sometimes friend, sometimes adversary of, of Shane McGowan, who actually probably saved his life, kept him away from heroin for a little bit. Because Shane McGowan, apart from being a great songwriter, was a mess. He was... You don't have to look very hard to figure out that he was imperfect. He was uh, a raging alcoholic and a drunk. His uh, oral hygiene was almost disturbing, and that's coming from a guy who doesn't go to the dentist very often. I currently don't have a dentist. If, if anybody in the North County, St. Louis area knows of a good dentist, I'm taking recommendations. Uh, but Shane McGowan, uh, his teeth were really rotted and worn down and th he's, he's sort of legendary for that i'm not this isn't anything that he himself didn't know in recent years and by recent years i might mean 15 years ago i mean time tr travels differently when you're in your 40s uh in recent years he'd had his teeth replaced uh including a, a gold one right down front that i thought was interesting so he, he looked a little better toward the end but he was uh known for I mean, Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols got the name Johnny Rotten because his teeth were rotting. Had nothing on Shane McGowan. It's, uh, I, I'd say Google it, but you might have nightmares. I'm, I, that's, I, that's insensitive, but it's true. You know? He was a mess in that way. Didn't take care of himself. Raging alcoholic. Did heroin. Lived really, really hard. That's... That's why it wasn't really a surprise to hear that he had died at the age of 65. If you had told me the day before he died that, hey, Shane McGowan's going to die this year, I would have gone, yeah, sure. You know, that, 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 that tracks. But 
when it happens, and it's real, and you know it, and it's right there, and you have to deal with the emotions, and you have to think back about all the all the times that you've sat around singing Pogue songs, all the St. Patrick's Days that you've heard Dirty Old Town played by somebody who had no idea that Shane McGowan wrote it. They thought it was just a traditional Irish song, but no, that was written in the 80s by Shane McGowan. All the Christmases where you've listened to Fairy Tale of New York and tried to tiptoe around the fact that there's an offensive word in it that I think he would, would have known better than to use now. But at the time, it, it was a different time. It was the 1980s. You could say that kind of thing, you know? And all the Christmases that you've listened to that song, you start remembering all these things about him. And it, if you're an appreciator of Irish music, if you're, well, if you're me or like me, the news just knocked you off your feet for a minute. And it continues to, because what is the world like without a Shane McGowan in it? Who Bono, from U2, this week described him as, uh, he wrote perfect songs so that neither he nor we had to be perfect. And that's a wonderful description of Shane McGowan. He wrote perfect songs so that neither we nor he had to be perfect. I'm paraphrasing slightly, I'm sure. Those of you who are rabid Bono fans know that I've made a mistake. It's okay. We're on the same side, trust me. Shane McGowan just wrote incredible music that, uh, if you're at all a fan of Irish music, I'm just going to read you a little bit of the first several tracks off of the uh, Ultimate Collection double disc set, and you'll know these songs. Rainy Night in Soho, Sally McLean, The Irish Rover, Dirty Old Town, Fairy Tale of New York, the best Christmas song ever anyone has ever written, Streams of Whiskey, If I Should Fall from Grace, uh, you've got Body of an American in there. You've got uh, uh, The Sunny Side of the Street, their version of that. You've got A Pair of Brown Eyes. You've got uh, uh, Tuesday Morning. It's hard for a Pogues fan to stop naming songs. The Ultimate Collection release, for some reason, doesn't include their version of Jesse James. There are only two versions of Jesse James worth listening to. One is the Pogues version. The other is the Bruce Springsteen Live in Dublin version. He just wrote these beautiful words, these beautiful lyrics. And the one that we can zero in on right now is the one that's controversial, because we can talk about it because it's, it's the Christmas season, and it's a Christmas song. And that's Fairy Tale of New York, which you may be familiar with, even though you don't know the name of it. You might think the name is The Bells Are Ringing Out on Christmas Day, or you might just think of it as, oh yeah, the one with the offensive word in it. The offensive word is, uh, I've tiptoed around it, but I'm just going to tell you what the offensive word is. I'm not actually going to say it, but I'm going to, you'll, you'll understand. The offensive word is the six-letter F word that in the song rhymes with maggot. Uh, within the structure of the song in the 1980s, it made a little bit more sense than it does now. Uh, now it's unforgivable except for the fact that it was in the past and the heart of the song is pure what the song is is it's a guy who finds himself in the drunk take on christmas eve he's he's drunk and he's been arrested and he's in the drunk take drunk tank that's hard for me to say for some reason he's in the drunk tank on christmas eve and he's 
thinking about it, and he's talking to his uh, presumably betrothed. He's talking to the woman in his life and telling her about it, and then they have a fight. And that's what the song is. The song is mostly their fight going on. And he'll sing a couple of lines, and she'll sing a couple of lines, and she throws some real daggers at him, and he kind of tries to talk his way out of it. That's what the song is. And it's played for comedy, and it's played for fun for a lot of it, but it also has some really beautiful turns, and we'll get to that in a moment. The context of the offensive word is her insulting him, and her throwing the daggers at him. He gets one in just before. He calls her the four-letter S-word. Not shit, we're talking about slut. He calls her uh, an old slut on junk. Uh, that's uh, part of the argument that they're having. It's a very visceral, ugly fight, but it's still played for fun because it's Irish. Uh, that's what we do, the Irish. We take a sad thing and we make it sound real fun. Uh, but he calls her that, and, you know, she comes back with, you scumbag, you maggot, you cheap, lousy, six-letter F-word. Which Jason Isbell has the perfect solution to. Just change the line to, you scumbag, you maggot, you poor man's Bob Saget, and you're covered. Everything's good. I, I love that, and that's kind of how I sing it in my heart every year now. But uh, that's, that's what the song is. That's, that's, what that, that's the context of that word. In the 1980s, that word was, yes, known to be an insult toward gay people, but a lot of straight people used it to insult other straight people just to call them something that they aren't, you know? And really that's what an insult is, is you're being called something that you aren't, and you have to push back against it, you know? That is an unacceptable word. I'm not trying to justify that word. I'm not trying to forgive that word. That word should not be in the song. Even then, it was borderline at best. But it's there, and we kind of have to deal with it. You know? It's used in a way that someone is using it as an insult. It's actually Shane McGowan wrote it as an insult directed toward himself. So there's a little bit of room for, well, it was a different time. You know? And I think that that's a fair argument to make for a lot of things. Well, it was a different time. We all know better now, so did Shane McGowan, who only passed away about a week ago. He, he knows better. He knew better, I should say. I should get used to referring to him in the past tense. But that song is sort of known for its offensive little line there, but it's also really appreciated for a really beautiful turn that it takes that is ugly but then gets beautiful again in the fight that they're having the male character shane mcgowan says i could have been someone and she replies well so could anyone you took my dreams from me when i first found you which is such a cutting thing to say doesn't that just hurt you to hear you took my dreams from me when i first found you yeah, sure, you could have been anyone. So could anyone. You took my dreams from me when I first found you. And right after she says that, he comes back with, I kept them with me, babe. I put them with my own. I can't make it all alone. I've built my dreams around you. Which is a really beautiful thing to say to someone who just called you a cheap, lousy, six-letter F-word. Shane McGowan knew how to turn a lyric on a dime from funny and fun and even insulting to really beautiful. 
he knew how to find beauty in the ugliness, and that is the greatest gift any artist can give to the people who experience their art. In the early 2000s, I was in an Irish gift shop somewhere in Minneapolis. I can't remember where. I was on a I was on a trip with a group from my college, which was a Bible college, whole different part of my life there. Uh, I was with a group from the Bible college, and we were doing a mission trip to Minneapolis. I don't know. Go figure. And uh, we were there, and there was this little Irish shop, little Irish gift shop, and I went in there, and this was. The early 2000s, vinyl had not yet reached its big resurgence. I didn't even own a record player, but I'm in there, and there was for some reason, randomly, just a 1980s copy of the Pogues' seminal album Rum, Sodomy, and The Lash. If you're going to get into the Pogues, that is the one to grab. It was just sitting there, and it was this wonderful 1980s copy, and I had it in my hands. And this was a different time in my life, and I'm on a essentially a church field trip, and I set it back down and said, I don't really have the money for it right now. And it's probably 20 years later right now while I'm talking to you, and I still regret that. I still remember how it felt in my hands. I still remember the color of the hats that it was sitting next to in that gift shop. You should always listen to your gut. You should always listen to your heart. I should have taken that home, and I made a mistake. A mistake that I didn't make was in more recent years, within the last couple of years, I don't remember when exactly, my brother Dave, your papa Dave, he uh, he might remember better than I do, uh, but sometime over COVID, he contacted me and said, hey, there's this little shop that I go to that has a bunch of barbecue supplies and like a little bit of liquor for some reason, and they have a bottle here of the Pogues Irish Whiskey. The Pogues have a licensed Irish whiskey out there. Would you like me to pick you up a bottle, and you can pay me for it later? And without even really thinking, I said, yes, please. You know, and and he picked it up, and he got it to me, and I wrote him a check and, and, and all that. And I had this bottle of the Pogues Irish Whiskey sitting around thinking, boy, I, I, I don't even know if I want to open it. I might just want to keep this. This is really cool. I've got the the Shane McGowan-endorsed Irish whiskey. How cool is that? You know? So I thought about just keeping it, kind of forever. And then something happened, you know, in my life, and I just sort of medically needed a glass of Irish whiskey. So the bottle got opened, and I poured it out, and I drank it. Not all in one night. This was over a few days, obviously. But I got through the bottle and emptied it out and thought, wow, that was... That was really good Irish whiskey. That was easily on par with Bushmills, you know? It was really great. Triple distilled, everything that you want out of an Irish whiskey. Of course it is. It's got the Pogue's name on it. And I emptied out the bottle, and I rinsed it out, and I kept the bottle. And it's been sitting in my home office on a bookshelf. And this week, I had forgotten that it was there. It's been sitting there long enough that I forgot it was there. It's just part of the room, you know? And I was just sitting in my office, and I saw it, and I, I took a picture of it, and I put it on my social media, just saying, I can't believe I forgot that I had this. Because it, it settled into me that I had this bottle of the Pogues Irish whiskey, of essentially Shane McGowan's Irish whiskey, just sitting there. And it was an empty bottle, but it was a totem. 
of a time that I got through. In the middle of ugliness, I had something that was really nice, you know, that I, I got through that time with. And I kept the little totem, and it sat there as a memory of surviving and of getting through something. And it's empty. There's not a drop left in it. But it's still standing there as a monument. And there's almost not a more on-the-nose tribute to Shane McGowan than that. The thing that I said that ended my Facebook post that uh, might actually make me cry right now was how I'm going to end this segment. Rest in peace, Shane McGowan. There's always going to be a bottle here with your name on it, whether there's anything left in it to pour out or not. Okay, checkmates, I have composed myself. Thank you for bearing with me on the end of that slightly sad little section. But uh, I do hope that if you don't know who either Norman Lear nor uh, Shane McGowan are, that you'll Google them, you'll go to their Wikipedia pages, and you'll do a little bit of learning. Because they are both definitely worth your time. Some other stuff that is worth your time are some recent and uh, not-so-recent musical releases that I want to talk about here this evening, or this morning, or whenever you're listening to it. I don't know your life. Uh, we've got a few things to talk about, and uh, I they're all things that I had fun with, and we're just going to dive in. Some of these I'm going to spend more time with than others. Uh, the first one I'm going to spend a little bit of time with is the new album by Queen Dolly herself, Dolly Parton's album, Rockstar. Dolly released an album of rock and roll covers, because she got inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and felt like she had never released a rock and roll album, so she thought she should put out at least one. And uh, that's a risk. Doing a, a rock and roll cover album at uh, Dolly's age, when she's known as a country singer, there's a, there's a risk there. I was a little afraid that we were going to get this album and it was going to be, you know, kind of like uh, uh, the, uh, uh, what's, his, what's his fucking name? Pat Boone. It was going to be like Pat Boone's No More, no More Mr. Nice Guy album. Can't talk anymore tonight. The Shane McGowan section took it out of me. I, I was afraid this was going to be like Pat Boone's No More Mr. Nice Guy album, which is fun and kind of goofy and you get a couple of good chuckles out of it and you go, well, this is clearly absurd, but it seems like he's having a good time. Uh, that's not what I wanted out of Queen Dolly. I wanted something that felt like she was being serious, not something that felt like it was a joke. And for the most part on this album, look, she has a lot of fun, and there is some goofiness, and there is some, some well, clearly she's doing that just to have fun and be funny. But for the most part, on this double-disc CD, she's really nailing it. She sounds serious. She sounds like she knows what she's doing. The guest stars on the album are, for the most part, completely appropriate, only occasionally slightly baffling. Uh, but uh, uh, I really could have done without the inclusion of Kid Rock. I'm just going to say that. 
Fuck Kid Rock, but he's on this album. Otherwise, the album's really, really good. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a little bit silly in places, but for the most part, you get to hear Dolly Parton sing songs that fit her voice really well, that fit her tone really well, that are completely appropriate for her to do. It's leaning a lot into the 70s and 80s, but we get a little bit of current stuff too, like the... Uh, uh, one of the ones that kind of stuck out for me, actually, was Wrecking Ball, the Miley Cyrus song. She brings Miley in, and they do Wrecking Ball. And it was uh, surprisingly well done. I don't even really love that song, but I liked this version of it. And at the end of it, she, like, tags on a little bit of uh, I Will Always Love You. And it just, it, it, it got me, man. It got me. And I just went, oh, Dolly. You know, and it, it just, it just, it, it warmed the heart in a way that, like, was borderline teary-eyed. It, it got me. And uh, the whole album is kind of like that. It just has moments where it just kind of grabs you, and you go, oh, this is, this is really cool and really fun. The, the criticism that I have of it is some of the guest vocalists seem out of place. Like, uh, uh, Steve Perry shows up on her version of Open Arms and somehow doesn't sound like Steve Perry. I don't know what happened. Uh, I don't even know how to explain that but like some of the guest vocals are like that uh, like or she does a uh, uh keep on loving you by Ario speedwagon and kevin cronin shows up and does background vocals for her and he does the background vocals completely appropriately but if i hadn't looked at the track list i wouldn't have known that it was kevin cronin because i think of kevin cronin as having a very sort of high tenor voice and he was singing much more low in the baritone range for the background vocal, which is completely appropriate for the song, but it was just kind of, re really, that's Kevin Cronin? What happened? He doesn't sound like him, you know? Like, I had a few of those moments with some of the guest vocalists. Because that's a thing for me. I don't, I don't like, buy an album wanting to hear the guest vocalist. I buy it wanting to hear the lead singer of that band, you know? And especially when it's Dolly Parton, I want to hear Dolly Parton sing. And for the most part, you get that. She's definitely the lead vocalist on all of the songs. Nobody just, like, takes over and overwhelms her or anything. She's she's Queen Dolly, you know? She's the lead singer of the Dolly Parton project, you know? And, uh, but, did, yeah, a couple of the guest vocalists jumped out at me as sort of odd choices. And, like, at one point I went, wait, is that Rob Halford? And I looked at the list and, yeah, that was Rob Halford. All right, fine. Uh, you know, so there's a few weird little surprises like that, but... I mean, you get 30 songs of Dolly just having a good time and singing rock and roll music. What's not to love about that, you know? It might have been a slightly stronger single disc, but it, it feels like she just kind of called in a bunch of favors, recorded everything, and said, yeah, let's put out all of it. You know, and, and so much the better are we because we have everything. We have everything that she wanted to do on her rock and roll album. And it's shockingly really great and nothing like the Pat Boone album, you know? So if you're a Dolly person, and who the hell isn't a Dolly person? If you're a Dolly person, pick up Rockstar. You're going to have a great time. It probably works a little bit better if you know a majority of the songs, but here's the thing. Most of you know a majority of the songs. You're going to be okay, you know? It's fun. It's at In places, it's, you know, kind of blissfully fun and other places it's really seriously fun it's exactly what you want out of dolly parton doing a rock and roll album of you know cover songs anyway so pick it up dolly parton's rock star absolutely worth your time also worth your time is the newest album by the struts called pretty vicious
I'm relatively new to the Struts. I started listening to them because my brother and eldest niece went to see them and uh, both had good things to say about the Struts show. Uh, so I was, I've listened to a little bit, of their, little bit of their stuff and thought, yeah, that's pretty good. Oh, hey, they've got a new album out this year? Yeah, I'll pick that up. And uh, popped it in and listened to it and had a really good time listening to it. I, even I can tell, being new to the band, even I can tell that it's a little bit of a departure piece which is always intriguing to me and always kind of interesting. Uh, it's a little bit different for them, but it's still really good. Uh, my brother talks about having seen them live, talks about their live show being a little bit uh, similar in tone to like a Queen show, just very sort of ostentatious in that way. And I hear that in their music, but the thing that comes to mind for me listening to the Pretty Vicious record is less Queen and more Def Leppard. That's, that's the vibe that I get off of Pretty Vicious. A lot of fun, a lot of big riffs, a lot of, you know, cool-ass rock and roll songs, but a couple of little sort of more intimate moments as well, and it just, uh, I don't know, it, re it reminded me a lot of, like, a, a, a good Def Leppard record. Not one of the bad ones, one of the good ones. And that, uh, I mean that certainly as a compliment, because I've got a lot of respect for Def Leppard. Less than your Papa Dave. Your Papa Dave loves the Def Leppard. One of his favorite bands, I think. In fact, I pointed that out to him one year. We were in his car, and he was listening to a recent live Def Leppard album, and I referred to them as one of his favorite bands. And he said, I, I don't know if they're one of my favorite bands, but I like them a lot, but I don't know if they're one of my favorites. And then, like, as he was talking, he realized, no, that's, that's, that's true. They're one of my favorite bands. He has all of their stuff. He, during that car trip had informed me that Def Leppard sometimes performs as uh, Dead Flatbird, the world's greatest Def Leppard tribute band. Uh, he knows all this Def Leppard trivia. He knows all the albums. He has all the albums. He knows the songs. He would like to hear more deep cuts in a concert than they're likely to do. He's a big Def Leppard fan. So, like, on that level, I understand why the Struts appeal to him, and it's on that level that the Struts appeal to me as well. Moving on, we've got a new album by The National called Laugh Track. It is a companion piece to the album that they put out earlier this year, which was called First Two Pages of Frankenstein. Uh, when that album came out, I believe my review on this show was, I really like The National, I really want to like The National, but when they name an album First Two Pages of Frankenstein, it feels like they don't want me to like them. Uh, and I, I had to get over that feeling and listen to that album, and it turns out that I really, really like that album. So I picked up Laugh Track. It's got almost an identical cover to the album that came out earlier this year, except this cover is in color. The previous one was in black and white. But other than that, it's identical except for the name on it. So I was expecting more of the same, and I was expecting a similar vibe, and I was expecting to love this one just as much as the previous one. And I'm just not into it. I, I, it's, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's, it's a perfectly good national album, but like, First two, first, two pages, first two pages of Frankenstein grabbed hold of me and made me kind of pay attention, and I, I went, yeah, this is a really good album, now that I'm past the title, you know? But Laugh Track, I don't know, it, it, feels, like, it feels like a part two. You know what I mean? Like, I, there are very few part two albums where the second part is as good as the first part. Like, very few album sequels really measure up to the original. 
And this feels like that. This feels like a part two. For, it feels like the leftovers that weren't good enough to go on the album. That's just what it feels like to me. Not bad, but not good enough to be on the main album. And it has a bunch of, you know, guests. Well, not a bunch, but a few guests on it. It's got uh, the, however you're supposed to say, Bon Iver. I, I don't care. I don't care how you're supposed to say Bon Iver. I just, every time I hear that guy or band or whatever you want to call him, I just want to take a nap. That's how I feel about the Bon Iver or Boney Bear or whatever the fuck you're supposed to say. Uh, they're there. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers, also there. Phoebe Bridgers seems to be everywhere these days. Uh, that's actually one of the better tracks on the album is Laugh Track, the title track with Phoebe Bridgers involved. Uh, and Roseanne Cash shows up on Crumble, which is also a highlight because I love Roseanne Cash. Uh, contrary to what I said when I was talking about Queen Dolly, on this one, the guest vocalists actually kind of help it a little bit, except for Bon Iver, who I don't care about. Uh, and, that, and here's the thing, Bon Iver isn't bad. Bon Iver, whatever, isn't bad. Those of you who are big fans of that guy or band or whatever it's supposed to be, uh, I just, uh, I'm already sleepy, <laughs> is my review of everything I've heard from them. Uh, so, National Laugh Track, near miss for me, it just sounds like B-sides and stuff that got edited off of the album that they actually released. And that's probably very much what it is, and they just aren't quite saying that in their marketing. It's fine, but it's only fine. You know, I don't want to completely bash it, but it's only fine. Another new album that came out recently is the newest one by the Guided by Voices. Not the Guided, there's no article in their name. Guided by Voices. The new album by Guided by Voices called Nowhere to Go But Up. For some reason, Guided by Voices has had another year where they put out three fucking albums. They keep doing that they are oversaturating their own fan base with fucking music there are too many fucking guided by voices albums even if they're not releasing three new ones every fucking year which they keep fucking doing there are far too many fucking guided by voices albums i like the band and i need a break they need to slow down uncle bob please only put out one next year and maybe a live album if you absolutely have to i'm fucking exhausted i can't keep up i can't even memorize the new songs before you put out another new fucking album i'm exhausted and you have to stop and that said this is a really good album you should absolutely pick it up it may be the strongest one that they released this year guided by voices nowhere to go but up really really good i just need them to slow down <laughs> is all <laughs> and the last thing i want to talk about i've been listening to a lot of tenacious d lately and they don't have anything new out the most recent thing that they put out was uh, the post-apocalypto soundtrack to a movie that they put out on youtube that you can't even find anymore because of i think youtube uh like profanity standards i don't think they can have it on there anymore so it's hard to even find that movie i have a rip of it that i probably am not supposed to have if anybody wants to see it but um that's the most recent thing that they put out and i think that was 2018 or 19 but i uh around thanksgiving i just want to hear tenacious d because my Abiding memory of that band is taking a trip to the family Thanksgiving with my brother and listening to that album for the first time and just falling in love with it. And I've been on a Tenacious D kick. I've listened to the albums, I've watched the movie, I've watched the original series. I've just been having a good time with the D lately. 
And, uh, I don't know, I just wanted to say that. If all you know is the first Tenacious D album, explore a little further. There's a lot of fun to be had. And it's all irreverent and uh, offensive and stupid. And kind of wonderful because of that. You know? At least check out the movie The Pick of Destiny. It's a lot of fun. It's dumb and, again, in places probably offensive, but it's a lot of fun. I, I, I love me some Tenacious D, your Jack Black and your Kyle Gass. I, I love those two idiots, and uh, I've just been enjoying their stuff lately. And I don't have a lot else to say about it. I just wanted to say that. I've been having a lot of fun with Tenacious D lately, and if you like sophomoric, irreverent humor mixed with really good music, maybe you would have some fun listening to them, too, right about now. So uh, I think that's it. I think that's all the music that I want to talk about. So let's uh, play some music and then get out of here. What do you say? I just want to see you again. I don't know how to say that in a way that won't sound like I'm in this thing farther than you as I am. But I just want to see you again. I sometimes think I should just call I get tired of the texting Pressing like on the walls Well, that's about it for this week, Checkmates. Thanks for letting me do this. It's been nice to talk to you again. Uh, the, the weeks after the Fab 15s, it seems like so much happens. And I, I, I have trouble, like, limiting the show. Like, the Fab 15 is often, like, two and a half to three hours. And then, you know, so I give you a little bit extra time coming out of that. And then... I do, like, shows like this that are almost a catch-up where I, I, I sort of want to go two hours with this, but you gotta, you gotta stop at some point. I'm tired. I'm old. My voice is wearing out. Uh, <laughs> old. 43. Uh, my voice is wearing out. I, ever since I had COVID a while back, my, my voice doesn't last as long as it used to. That's one of the dangers, so still be careful. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed doing this. I, uh, I wish I could go a little bit longer, but we're, we're coming up on the hour mark and we need to kind of start wrapping up here. A uh, couple things that just worth touching on. We're getting close to Christmas. I hope you're all being nice to each other and not being one of the fucking assholes in the grocery store parking lot who has picked this time to go outside for the first fucking time in your life. Uh, don't, 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 uh, don't be one of those people. Like, do better. Order shit online if you can, so you don't have to take up space in a parking lot where people just had to be anyway, you know? Uh, but more than that, I hope you're experiencing the joy of the holidays in whatever way that you enjoy it. I've been on a Christmas music kick, which is really weird for me. I don't uh, typically love Christmas music. I'm usually kind of over Christmas music by October. Uh, but I, I think it's just... I used to be a music minister a lifetime ago. 14 years ago, I got out of ministry, and I was a music minister at that point. And I think it just takes that long to get some of the Christmas songs out of your head to where you want to hear them again. You know, after rehearsing them and all that. Even the secular stuff, I kind of like, uh, it's too close. You know, but like... This year I've really been enjoying it, and I've been kind of seeking out Christmas music. I've been listening to the Bowie and Bang and 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 to the uh, Burl Ives and, and that stuff. I've been listening to some of that and having a good time with it. 
uh, picked up a copy of the uh, Smithereens Christmas album, which is really good and fun. And, uh, yeah, just stuff like that. I've been listening to some Christmas music and having a good time, and I hope maybe you get to have some of that good time, too. The other thing that I've been doing that I do every Christmas that you hear me talk about every year that I do at Christmas, watching the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies. And by watching those movies, I mean I'm watching the movies themselves and then the commentaries and then the appendices discs and just, like, all of it. Like, I'm just, like, I, I dive real deep every year. If I sat and just watched all of that stuff in a straight setting without sleep or whatever, it would take somewhere between four and a half and five days. So I start kind of when December starts and hopefully have it done by Christmas. You know, that's kind of the goal. I'm pretty deep into the first Hobbit movie right now, hoping to start the second here over the weekend. I should be able to start the second here over the weekend. That shouldn't be a problem, actually. And uh, hope to be into the Lord of the Rings stuff and just kind of have it all done by Christmas, but we'll see what happens. Time is hard to find these days, you know? But yeah, I'm doing my annual Peter Jackson <laughs> yearly watch-through, which might also end up including that Beatles documentary that he did a little bit ago. That might happen too. Uh, but I'm, I'm having a good time with that. And whatever your Christmas or holiday tradition is, I hope you're uh, having fun either doing it or gearing up for it. Uh, the only other thing really worth talking about is, uh, KISS retired, kinda. Uh, they stopped touring, anyway. They finally reached the end of their End of the Road tour that I think started in 1996. Uh, they're finally, uh, <laughs> they're finally done. And, uh, that's barely even a joke, actually. But they're finally done. They did their last show at, what, Madison Square Garden, I guess. And at the very end of that show, they announced, uh, Kiss Army, your love has made us immortal! And uh, announced that they're going to do what, of all people, ABBA did a few years before, and they're being immortalized, quote-unquote, as avatars that will occasionally do weird performances that I guess you're going to have to pay for. I don't fully understand it. Uh, but it, it's, like, clearly, okay, so you now exist in animated form, and, like, people are gonna pay to watch your animated avatars sing album tracks, is what I'm understanding from this? Seems to be working for ABBA, people keep buying tickets to that, but, like, really? That's, that's the thing you're gonna do to keep the KISS brand alive? All right. I guess there's a market for that. I'm not in it. I'm uh, probably eventually going to buy the Blu-ray of the quote-unquote last show. Uh, I'm saying I'm only saying quote-unquote because I guess they're going to do shows with these avatars, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of want to see the last Kiss concert. Not enough to get the pay-per-view. I think it's weird that we still have pay-per-views. But uh, when they put out the inevitable Blu-ray of that, because Gene Simmons will get your money if he can, in whatever format that he can, when they put out the inevitable Blu-ray of that, I'll I'll buy it and watch it and probably have a good time, and then it'll get to the part where they announce the avatars, and I'll go, well, that's still weird. Still know what to do with that. I probably have friends who are into that. I got some friends who are real big KISS fans, some of whom have been on this show before. But like, I, I, don't, I don't really know what to do with that announcement. That's happening. Uh, there was a time in my life in the 90s where I was really into Kiss. 
and then, you know, you kind of get a look behind the curtain and you go, well, maybe I'm not that into Kiss. Uh, at least I did. A lot of people don't care, you know, but, and it's fine if you don't care, but I, I cared as a guy who cares about that kind of stuff. And yeah, about once a year, I want to hear some Kiss, you know? A lot like once a year I want to hear some Tenacious D or watch the Lord of the Rings movies or hear some Frank Zappa. About once a year I want to hear some Kiss and, you know, there's plenty of Kiss out there and I'd, I'd, I'd like to see that last concert Blu-ray happen. And I'll watch that. Have a good time. Contact my other friends who are like way into Kiss and say, hey, I finally watched that and uh, that, was, that was fun. And, that's, and that'll be the end of that conversation, really. Some of them probably won't even reply to me. I guess congratulations on a career done, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. I'm assuming Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer are going to keep doing stuff with, you know, respective other projects and whatnot. Like, those guys are still young enough to keep doing stuff. But I guess Paul and Gene are done. It is that thing of, like, every time the subject of Kiss's final tour and final show and whatnot come up, somebody's like... They'll tour again in another couple years. Just you wait. Yeah, look, Paul is 71, Gene is 74. They probably aren't. You know, they're probably actually done. They're probably not touring again. They may still record together. They may still do, like, a one-off appearance at some award show or something. There's... I, I believe them when they say they're done touring this time. You know? At least for now. Unless they both get into their 90s and they're like, one more time, you know, and <laughs> roll out on in wheelchairs and, you know. Um, and believe me, I would absolutely go to that show. But, uh, you know, I, I, I believe them. And I, uh, look, I had a really great time with Kiss when I had my great time with Kiss. I appreciate them. I thank them for a lot of fun that I had with what they did. And, uh, you know... They are one of those bands that you can love them, you can hate them. I've done both, but you at some point have to go, yeah, Detroit Rock City is a pretty good song. Uh, and if some other band that you're seeing breaks into a chorus of rock and roll all night, you're going to sing along with that. Like, you know what's happening. Uh, they're in some ways undeniable. And uh, I'm not going to deny them. I'm just going to say congratulations. Job well done. Thank you for the fun that I had with you. Uh, God bless Kiss, in in some ways, anyway. Uh, there are certainly problematic aspects of their career that I don't endorse, but uh, God bless the fun that those guys allowed me to have in the time that I had it. That's all I wanted to say. I don't get the Avatars thing, but I get everything else. I'd also really like a Blu-ray release of Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. If that's already out there, somebody hit me to that. I would like a copy of that. Uh, but uh, Anthony Zerby and all that. Uh, I, I uh, 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 Rip and Destroy was better than Hotter Than Hell. I'm the one that's going to say that to you, Kiss Army. But otherwise, you know, hey, Kiss had a good run. It sounds like the touring aspect of that is over, and I wish them well in their well-deserved retirement. That's it, checkmates. We covered a lot of ground tonight, I think, or today, or this morning, or whatever. Again, don't know your life, but we covered a lot of ground. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for letting me do this. I do not take it for granted, and I really appreciate the hell out of you. Uh, thanks. Just thanks. Thanks so much. Please remember to do 
whatever keeps you happy, healthy, and safe. Please remember that black lives matter, that LGBTQIA plus rights are human rights, that women's rights are human rights, and that I shouldn't have to tell you any of that. And checkmates, please be good to each other, be good to yourself, forgive each other, and forgive yourself. And while you're doing all that, check us out next time. And party every day!